Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. We are in this series, Form and Fire, and uh, this has been such a good series. I don't know how you guys have felt about it. Um, We've kind of navigated some waters in this series because we thought that this is so important for us to talk about the Holy Spirit, but we know that this is not a very easy topic for many people to walk through. Everyone kind of has a background with it, or maybe your background is you have no idea, so we felt like we needed to like navigate all of the things around the Holy Spirit. And so we're actually coming to the conclusion of our series, which is crazy because Advent starts next week. How nuts is that? Anybody else, you already have your Christmas tree up? Okay, not unashamed. I love it. I, we had this conversation last night, like Trish and I were driving, and I was like, you know, this year I feel ready to like start a week early. Like I feel like we could put a Christmas tree up right now. I feel good. I don't know what it is, but for some reason this year feels right. So um, with that, we're going to be diving into the final installment of this series, which is going to be the fruit of the Spirit or life by the Spirit. And so with that, um, I want to read this teaching text because I think it's important for us to know that the most important thing said today is the Word of God. And so I know we don't do this ordinarily, but would you guys mind standing with me as we read this text out of Galatians 5, just as we honor God and we honor His Word It says this, this is Paul writing to the church in Galatia. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. That's the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. A passage preaches itself. I mean, it's so good. So good. And I have, to, I have to be honest, I wrestled a lot with this text. I wrestled a lot coming up to preach because this is a familiar passage for many people. Um, and honestly, whenever you teach, this happens all the time, you have to like live it out. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm like working on this and I'm realizing, I'm like, man, this week the fruit of the Spirit was just like really not fruitful. <laughs> I was walking around, I was like, man, I feel so much more on edge. I feel so much more anxious. I don't feel like I have self-control or patience. And so I have to say, this is very much in progress, but as you'll see in this sermon, that's kind of the point. 
So why this series on the Holy Spirit? Why are we doing this? Why are we finishing this up right now? And I think I'll say this, because anything other than or anything less than a Spirit-filled follower of Jesus or being a Spirit-filled church is less than what Jesus promised us. I think anything less than being a Spirit-filled church is less than the life that's abundant that Jesus says he has to offer. And so if we don't talk about the Holy Spirit, we're actually missing out on what Jesus extended for us as followers of Jesus. We're living just a partial piece of his kingdom. And so here's kind of my description of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Here's the life of the follower of Jesus. I think we have a slide up here that says it. The Spirit of God shapes us to be like Jesus and empowers us to live like Jesus for the love of the world, to see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in this description, you'll see a few things. It's the Holy Spirit that does the transformation, not our willpower. I think so often we think we can just muster whatever we want and that's how we're going to get transformed. And we're transformed to be like Jesus, not whatever our secular humanistic age defines us as. We're not just being transformed to be whatever we want, we're being transformed to be like Jesus. Next you see, he, he is the one that empowers us. And if you've been following this series, um, we talked about supernatural gifts. Um, Today we're going to talk about supernatural fruit or character. And all of this is for the purpose of God's kingdom overlapping with earth by means of love as defined by Christ, this empowered mission. So this is not my kingdom come and my will be done for my desires and my selfish ambition and my self-gratification. This is God, your kingdom come and your will be done for the renewal of all things. So God empowers us with gifts and with character to continue the mission of Jesus to the world around us. That's why this series. We want to be empowered with gifts. We want to be empowered with character so that we can continue the mission and ministry of Jesus to the world around us. But I think if we're all honest, I think the tragedy is is that we've seen extremely gifted people who lack the character. Right? Anybody, I mean, I love, do you guys watch the Will, Will Mays, Willie Mays documentary? So good. And I loved it because he actually seemed like a pretty good guy. Like, isn't that kind of rare when you like see these people who have like extreme gifting and then you find out they're good and you're like, oh, thank goodness. Like, I'm a Steph Curry fan for life because he's a good dude, I think, right? I don't know him personally. <laughs> I don't call up Steph on the regular, but you know, my assumption is he's a good dude, right? Like, We love to see people who are gifted and have character, but we've seen the damage, collateral damage, the burning out of people who have extreme gifting and no character. Not only have we seen them burn out, but we've seen the wake and the wildfire of everyone else getting burned out out around them, which is why Paul cuts right in the middle of his most robust and pungent teaching on the gifts of the Spirit operating in power of Jesus, and he says this, If I speak in the tongues of man or angels, but have not love, I am a resounding gong. And he continues on. He says, if I have the gifts of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains, but don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor, give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. See, gifting without character. Power without virtue, abundance without relationship is dangerous. It's dangerous. So life by the Spirit, we're called to be transformed to be people of love. We're called to live a radically different narrative than the narrative around us. And so, 
we have to ask ourselves this question naturally. What is the definable characteristic of that kind of person? The person who Jesus can trust with gifts and power and authority to carry out his kingdom. What does that kind of person look like? Someone who lives by the Spirit. And this is where we enter into Galatians 5. And so let me read it again. It says, The acts of the flesh, in verse 19, are obvious. And I love he just goes on this crazy list. Sexual morality, impurity, debauchery. Like He keeps going, and then he says in verse 21, and the like. I love that he's just like, he's just going off. He's like, I can't even complete the list. It's just crazy. So just, and the like. And so he says, the acts of the flesh, they're obvious. And he says, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. And then verse 25, he says, since we live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Now, notice the contrast here. Notice what Paul is doing. He's contrasting these two things. He says there's the acts of the flesh, and then there's the fruit of the Spirit. And I love this, the acts of the flesh, because if you listen to last week's sermon, this was like, this was the sermon. It was the spirit of the age. It's, it's the secular humanistic kind of culture that we live in, and this is what it's telling you to do. Sexual abundance in any way imaginable. Do whatever you want. Whatever your desire is. Debauchery, which just means lack of self-control, right? You do you. The heart wants what it wants. Haven't we said that? That's why I eat in and out right? Idolatry. Let money, let success, let wealth, let image, let lust, let that be the center of your attention and motivation. Hatred. I mean, social media rampages, us versus them, cancel culture. I mean, we could keep going on. Drunkenness, I mean, only on the weekends, right? That's sarcasm. (laughs) Or envy. I can't believe they got Taylor Swift tickets and not me. Selfish ambition, right? And if that doesn't define the spirit of the age or our current culture, I don't know what does. And so if you want to hear more on that, listen to last week's sermon. It was phenomenal. But essentially, the secular humanistic mindset, the the spirit of the, or the acts of the flesh, is this, that your immediate desires and wants are the greatest good. Anything that goes against your individual want and desire is oppressive and evil. And Paul is contrasting that. He says, you think it's this? We're living like this? But let me tell you about something different. The fruit of the Spirit. Or a person who's intentionally being apprenticed to the life of Jesus. And then he says, all of the fruit of the Spirit. But notice this. He says, acts and fruit. And I love that because acts are superficial level. He's kind of talking about two different levels. He's talking about acts, which are deeds, right? They kind of live on the surface. So the person who lives at the level of flesh, they just try to live out of acts and deeds, but they never go down to the heart. And so what makes this person obvious that they're living is that they're living and dealing only with deeds, but not with the heart. But remember what Jesus did in Matthew 5, where he's teaching and he's teaching about murder, and then he connects it with anger. And he he says, so the law says, hey, don't kill. He says, but I say to you, anyone who just harbors bitterness and anger... What is Jesus doing? He's shifting levels. He's going from acts. He's going from the flesh, and he's going to the deeper place because this is what the Spirit does. The Spirit doesn't want to just do project self where he just makes you all tidy and look good. He wants to get to the thing that's actually decaying your spirit. 
He wants to get down into the deeper parts. He wants to go to the lower level. And so as we do that, as we let the Holy Spirit get into the, the lower level, we become transformed to have the fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about people who love without thinking about it. People who are just joyful without having to overhype it. People who are wanting, or people who are just naturally peaceful in every situation because it just makes up their insides. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what we have to offer. And he says, love, joy, peace, patience. Now, I want to notice about this list, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, is that these aren't a list of commands. I think I've read this before, and I'm like, oh, dang it, I need to be more loving. I need to be more peaceful. I need to be more patient, right? And though that is true, maybe we need to be more patient. I know I needed that this week. But he calls them fruit, which implies that these are something that are their products, not something that you just do. And if in, this, in this passage, there's actually only one command. He's not commanding you to be more peaceful. There's only one command, and the command here, because we kind of lose it in the Greek, is in the last line. And the one command is keep in step with the Spirit. The one command is to walk in the Spirit, or in the language of Jesus in John 15, abide in the vine. One command in this entire list, devote yourself entirely to God. Walk in the Spirit. Live life in relationship with God, always at the front and center of your attention, 24-7. And the byproduct of that one command is love, is joy, is peace, is patience. N.T. Wright says it like this, and I think it's, he writes it really well. He says, the nine varieties of fruit, and he kind of lists them, they do not suddenly appear just because someone believes in Jesus and has prayed for God's Spirit and then sat back and waited for the fruit to come. There can be extraordinarily immediate growth that happens. The new life of the Spirit does flow through, but that's the blossom. To get the fruit, you have to be a gardener. You have to discover how to tend and prune. You have to discover how to irrigate the field. You have to discover how to keep birds and squirrels and rodents away. You have to watch for the blight and the mold. You have to cut away the ivy and other parasites that suck the life out of the tree. You have to make sure that the young trunk of the tree can stand firm when strong winds come, and only then will fruit appear. And I love it because this is the imagery that he's giving us. It's that of fruit being grown. Our job is to lean into what Jesus talks about in John 15, to abide. To abide. The imagery, Paul is actually just ripping off Jesus. He's just stealing his sermon. And he's like, I'm just going to give that exact same thing. And this is what Jesus says. He says, remain in me. No branch can bear fruit by itself unless you remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And so he says, I'm the vine. Remain in me. And so if we want to be people we want to be a church that's characteristically looking like Jesus, we want to have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Our one command, the one thing that we're called to do, is not to muster up a self-improvement strategy. It's to remain. It's to abide. It's to commune with Jesus, and by so doing, fruitfulness. I was thinking about this, too. This is all about intimacy. Um, I love my son. He is awesome. But I didn't marry my wife as a child-bearing or child-raising strategy, right? I was like, oh, this is going to be a good job. Like, I can marry her so I can raise a child. That's not why I married. I married Trisha because I love her. And, and the byproduct of our love in our marriage was a son. 
See, the thing is, is that when we go for intimacy, fruitfulness happens. Fruitfulness is just the collateral damage of intimacy. The aim of our lives is intimacy with Jesus and the fruit comes. And so the fruit of the Spirit that we read here is also not just like what we kind of have these flat definitions for. Like, see, when we say I love, like I'm talking about California burritos. I love California burritos. And I'm talking about my wife. Right? It's a junk drawer term, but here it's just qualitatively different. When we talk about joy, we're really talking about a superficial, circumstantial thing. But here it's so different. So, so take joy, for example. Jesus, in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Circumstantial. Uh, I don't know. He walked through the cross with joy. Paul, he says he rejoiced in prison. James And James 1, 2 says, consider it pure joy when you face sufferings. Now let's take peace. Jesus promised his disciples peace. And in that very same breath, he says, oh yeah, and also the world's going to hate you. It's okay. You know, the world hated me first. And you're like, thanks, Jesus. Like, (laughs) appreciate it. There's something different about the peace that Jesus offers. Patience. Jesus, who had all of the ability in the entire world to justify himself before everyone, to justify himself before Pontius Pilate, he stayed quiet. The people who were beating him and spit on him, he didn't blow up on them. He didn't smite them right. He was patient, and he loved them. And so let's finally take love, which holds everything together. See, all these other descriptors, love, joy, peace, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, like all of these are actually just descriptors of the singular fruit, which is love. These are all just descriptors of love because the word fruit here, so acts of the flesh is plural, but then fruit of the spirit is singular. It's a singular noun. So there's only one fruit and that fruit is love. It's not fruits of the spirit, which means that we don't get to specialize in the produce aisle. Like, we don't get to just say, like, oh, patience, I'm going to major in on that. <laughs> but joy and, joy and peace, I don't know. We, we don't get to just say, like, self-control, have that down. I'm still kind of a jerk, right? But at least I have it under control. Like, that's, we don't get to specialize in the produce aisle. No, th- these aren't separated things. Like, try being a peaceful person without joy. Try being a patient person without self-control. Trying to be a loving person without any of these. You cannot do it. See, this is a singular thing. The fruit of the Spirit is love. This is what it means to be a person of love. He produces all of these things in us. We don't just get to become someone who has self-control but remain a jerk, right? So this is available to all of us. And we have to look at just the knucklehead doorknob disciples, right? Every one of them. I mean, you look at like John, who was called the sons of thunder. He was the son of thunder. He had an anger issue. And then through discipleship to Jesus became someone who wrote a book on love. Saul, who set his mind to quarantine and eradicate the cancer that was called the way, became a follower of that way, was thrown into prison for it, and he's the one that says, I count a joy. He's the one that says, I found the secret to contentment in Philippians 4, right? This is, this is what God does. He takes people who have a disposition. We have this inner turmoil. We have this kind of bend towards the acts of the flesh, and he produces the fruit of the Spirit. We can go on down the list. And I look at my friends. Some of you guys are in this room. I look at myself. And even though I have a long ways to go, this week, I'm, I'm serious, I like was realizing how far I have to go. But I look, at the, I look at my life and I look at from where I was at in high school when I first started following Jesus and I am so much more filled with peace 
when things don't go correct the way that I want them to, for some reason, there's just a different level of trust. I have joy, and I can, I can actually have joy and sorrow, and they can kind of coincide. I mean, the, you see the fruit of the Spirit that happen over time. And so we have to now ask the question, how? How? Right? Because I want the life of the Spirit. If you're sitting here and you're like, that sounds really cool. Joy in prison? Like, I, hopefully you don't go to prison, but like, joy, that's awesome, right? All down for that. But how? How do we get this inner disposition is that actually possible? And so here's, here's the, the two things I want, to, I want to highlight from this passage that we see. How do we get that inner disposition? The first one is abiding, and the second one is crucifying. Abiding and crucifying. And we like abiding, right? That's nice and cozy. I like abiding, you know? Talk about Sabbath, it's great. But then in verse 24, it says, Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Crucifying? Bummer. So let's just start with abiding. Now, when we talk about abiding, right, again, it seems nice and cozy, like a nice Sabbath. I get to make myself a pour-over, single origin, right, go on a walk with my family on the beach. I overindulgent, like, meal from Bird's Eye Kitchen because, you know, I'm just, like, participating in the feast of the lamb at the end days, right? I'm just having a good time. Sabbath is awesome. I light a candle from anthropology. It smells great. Like, my house is just, it's the best, right? Sabbath sounds awesome, but the reality is it's actually really hard. Because if you ever try to Sabbath, if work doesn't actually creep in, which it usually does, at least thinking about work does, which produces the same kind of anxiety and releases the same stress hormones in your bodies, so that kind of sucks. And even if you're able to take the day off, even if you're able to manage to like disconnect from work, we most likely lack the intentionality of the presence of God throughout, the, throughout our rest, throughout our feasting, throughout our play, and throughout our worship. We probably endlessly scroll instead, or we kind of busy ourselves in other kind of ways. Sabbath sounds nice, but it's actually really hard. Silence and solitude. There is a reason why we always have our AirPods in. There is a reason why we always are playing music, listening to podcasts, or surrounding ourselves with people, because we don't like to be alone. Some of that has to do because we're afraid of boredom. We don't like how it feels. It kind of feels wasteful. Some of us don't like ourselves. Some of us are afraid of the emotions that might come up when we're by ourselves. Maybe we're just addicted to noise or the devices, which may be a really good reason for why we need to bring that to God in solitude. But that's not easy. So all of these things, abiding sounds really cute and cozy. It sounds wonderful. It sounds like, oh, that's awesome. I love being a church. We're going to talk about abiding. But when we have to put the rubber to meet the road, when we really want the fruit of the Spirit to be transformed in our life, when we want to walk and look like Jesus, it actually takes a lot of work. It's really not that easy. And like N.T. Wright said in his, in his previous quote, we have tending to the garden to do. We have to tend to the garden. You don't just get to kick back and produce fruit of the Spirit because you take a day off once a week. We have a part to play and so th this is what, just this really quick section, I want to talk about philosophy real quick. We have to exercise our will. And so there's this uh, philosopher from Princeton, his name is Harry Frankfurt, and in the 70s he kind of talked about what does it mean to be free? What does it mean to exercise your will? And so he kind of talks about three different things. He says we have our first order desires, we have our second order desires, and then we have our second order volition. So our first order desires are this. This is your base animalistic desires for food, sex, water, sleep, safety, right? This is the reason why we gossip. 
This is the reason why you feel tempted to flip someone off when they cut you off. Not me, of course. I would never do that. Right? This is the reason why we want to harbor anger against your coworker or your spouse. This is the reason why we manipulate situations to benefit us. This is why we lie, even if it's a little white one. Because we, we want to protect. We want to be safe. Right? This is our first order desire. This is what the New Testament calls the flesh. Our base level animalistic desires to do whatever we want because it's right in front of us right now. And then our second order desires, this is what we want to want. These are the things that you actually want below that. Benji said this a couple, couple weeks ago. He says, our flesh brings us to what we want now, but our spirit brings us to what we want most. It's our second order desires. It's, it's when you really want to go eat in and out but you really want the six-pack. What do you do? You got your base level, like first-order desires, but then you have your second-order desires. You want to be fit. You want to be healthy. You really want to drink that extra beer, but you don't want to wake up feeling foggy and gross and disappointed. And so we have these two different desires. And then second-order volition is our ability to override our first-order desires with our second-order desires. Our ability to say no for a different and better yes. This is our ability to exercise our willpower muscle. So what we're called to, what the Spirit of God does, is it allows us to exercise our willpower muscle. Harry Frankfurt says this, free will is freedom to do what one wants to do. The statement that a person enjoys freedom of the will means that he is free to want what he wants to want. More precisely, he is free to will what he wants to will. It is in securing the conformity of his will to his second-order volitions then that person exercises freedom of will. Meaning, freedom is not the ability just to do whatever you want. We define freedom in our culture just to do whatever you want. Do whatever feels good. That's what freedom is. But actually, the, the New Testament would call this slavery. Because we're actually just enslaved to our first order desires and we're not able to get to that lower level. Remember, the Spirit takes us to the lower level to actually to, to do the thing that we want to do most. So life by the Spirit, we're transformed, not just to have the ability to choose what we want most, but actually transforms our desires so that we want really good things. But this is the thing, you can't just tell your will to be stronger. You guys ever just tried that in the moment of temptation when you're like walking by salt and straw? Be strong, Will. It just doesn't work, right? You, in, you are going to get ice cream 10 times out of 10, right? I mean, draw any temptation into your mind right now, right? In a moment of weakness, and that temptation is right in front of you, whatever it may be, it could be eating ice cream, it could be scrolling endlessly on Zillow, right, trying to find the one, or it may be something maybe a little bit more real and hidden, but probably more common than you think. You can't tell yourself to be stronger. That's because our will is like a muscle, right? It's a finite resource. We, we, we have this willpower muscle that at the end of the day is really weak. That's why every dumb thing I ever did in high school happened at night. Anybody else? Every dumb thing I still do happens at night, right? Our willpower runs out of strength. It is a muscle. And honestly, most of us don't exercise our willpower muscle. And so we're walking around like willpower dad bods tattooed with like no ragrets on it, right? Like we just make dumb decisions because we just have weak willpowers, right? Like th this is what we, I actually TP'd Benji's house in high school late at night. You can determine if that was a bad, dumb, dumb decision or not, but that was a strength of will, right? We get tired. 
and our willpower runs out for the day. And so what we have to do, the key task of our life, is that by the Spirit, we need to learn to tether our weak and feeble wills to the Spirit of God. The aim of our lives is to tether our weak and feeble wills to the Spirit of God. The result is transformed character. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And as we learn to take our will and partner it with God's will, we get to see fruit in our lives. That's our desire. So how do we tether our weak will to the Spirit of God? I want to read another verse from Paul. It's 2 Corinthians 3. And he says this, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Benji hit this passage a little bit last week, but I want to hit it a little bit deeper. The word contemplate here is kataparizo, um, which, which what Paul is doing is he's actually hitting on this very common thing in Corinth. They, had, they were known for these bronze mirrors. And so this kataparizo is this word to stare into a mirror to stare into a reflection. And so this is something they would have understood because they looked at mirrors all of the time. And he's saying, hey, hey, so as you stare into a mirror, what do you see? As you contemplate, as you meditate, as you look back and forth in this mirror, what do you see? But notice, it's not looking at your own face. It's looking into the glory of the Lord. And as you look at the face of Jesus, as you stare at Jesus, as you contemplate Jesus, as you spend time abiding to Jesus, as you live into relationship with Jesus, look what happens. You're transformed, which is the word metamorpho. And this is is obvious. It's like a caterpillar to a butterfly, right? Metamorphosis. And so the imagery is that as you stare at Jesus, as you contemplate, as you abide to, your life will be transformed. The fruit of the Spirit will begin to come in you. It's a complete overhaul. Now, this is not a self-help enhancement strategy because we're not just trying to make ourselves better. We're trying to be transformed not into the better version of ourselves, but into the image of Jesus himself. This is the point. And that's what the fruit of the Spirit is. It is the character of Jesus. But here's what I really want to hit on in this, in this passage. He says, with ever-increasing glory which means it's ever-increasing. And you're like, duh. Which means there's progression. Which means it takes a long time. Take the metaphor of the fruit and the vine. Character of Christ is grown. You can't microwave it. You can't fast-forward it. There's no drive-through for it. It's grown. And not only does it take a long time, but it actually takes a lot of time which means it takes labor, meaning we have a part to play. We have to exercise our will. We have to tether our will to the Spirit of God because we have a part to play. So as we devote ourselves to teaching, as we devote ourselves to practices like Sabbath, like silence of solitude, like fasting, like doing Lectio Divina and reading Scripture and being in community, these correlate, as we do those more and more, this correlates to more fruit in our life. There is a part for us to play. So typically, this is slow, and I mean like really slow. And I know this is actually really frustrating, and I felt like as I was praying over this passage, I felt like this was something that the Holy Spirit wanted me just to gently lean into. Because I wonder if there's many of us who are here and we're like, yeah, man, um, I've been following Jesus now, but I'm not seeing the transformation. I've been doing the Sabbath thing, but I'm still kind of a jerk. I've been doing the silence and solitude, but I still kind of feel busy and anxious inside. 
And what I want to highlight is I want you to have grace and patience on yourself. Because the vision of this, the growth of the fruit of the Spirit, is that it takes a long time. Which means that we can't just expect our lives to be completely changed and for the fruit of the Spirit just to be blossoming out of us just because we took a day off. And so I really just, I don't know who needs to hear that. I, I have a feeling it's many people. I know I needed to hear that. But if you're feeling just like you're beating yourself up because you're like, man, I, I'm trying. I'm trying to be a better person. I'm trying to do all these things. And you're noticing that there's still this lack. There's still this internal turmoil and project self by way of the Holy Spirit. Is it working out yet? What I'd say is keep abiding. Keep trusting. Keep leaning in. The Spirit of God is producing it in you, but it just is going to take time. We're all in process. And I do also want to highlight that there are breakthrough moments, right? This is the fire, like in Form and Fire, our series. This is the fire, right? This is why we actually call people up to get prayer. Because we believe that there are breakthrough moments. We believe that the Spirit of God meets with people and does it in an instant what would have taken years of time. We know that people come up, and we've seen it in our midst, and we know the stories throughout Scripture, and I know stories in my life where people have come and they've got healed. I know the stories of when people have spoken into someone's life. It was exactly what they needed to hear, and God did a breakthrough in their life. He does those things. There are absolutely breakthrough moments, and I want that to be our culture, where whenever we, we ask if anyone wants prayer, that you guys would come because you expect that God will do breakthrough moments in your life. But what I'll say is those typically have to do with healing and those typically have to do with just like an immediate like kind of change. But the things that have to do with character and the growth of you becoming more like Jesus is typically process. It's typically over a long, long time. This is the form part of this sermon series. And so the process is abiding and the process is crucifying. So let's talk about crucifying. Obviously, not a fun one to talk about, but Paul is co-opting this imagery from Jesus. Jesus was crucified, and so he says, like Jesus crucified, we need to do the same thing with our flesh. Now, if, if you know anything about crucifixion, which I know we all do, right? We just like see it on a daily. Um, what happens is they nail them to the cross, and they, they're crucified, but they're not dead yet. So if you're crucified, you're, not, you're still up there for a while. And so to crucify the flesh, really what this just means is you're, you're taking it out of control. You're just saying that your first order desires, your first order desires to do whatever you want, to just kind of run your life however you want based off your emotions. You just say, that doesn't control me anymore. I'm not going to let my life be run by my passions and my desires, right? I'm going to be run by a different thing, a deeper thing, the Holy Spirit. Galatians 2.20, Romans 6.6 6 says that you have been crucified with Christ. So there's something that's passive, but then right here it's saying it is us crucifying our flesh, which means that this is the act of our will. We're active participants in crucifying. And so this is what uh, John Stott, he's a commentator and a theologian I was reading this week, and he wrote this as a little bit lengthy, but I think it's really helpful as we think about crucifixion and crucifying our flesh. He says, the rejection of our old nature is to be decisive. Although death by crucifixion was a lingering death, it was a certain death. Criminals who were nailed to the cross did not survive. John Brown draws out the significance of this fact for us. Crucifixion produced death not suddenly but gradually. True Christians do not succeed in completely destroying it, that is the flesh, while here below. Isn't that kind of good news? Because you're like, man, I've been working on this thing for a long time. But they have fixed it to the cross. 
they are determined to keep it there till it expires. Once a, criminal had ex- um, once a criminal had been nailed to the cross, he was left there to die. Soldiers were placed at the scene of the execution to guard the victim. Their duty was to prevent anyone from taking him down off the cross, at least until he was dead. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus, Paul says, have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. The Greek verb is in the aorist tense, indicating that it is something that we did decisively at the moment of conversion. When we come to Jesus Christ, we repented. We crucified everything we knew to be wrong. We took our old self-centered nature with all of its sinful passions and desires and nailed it to the cross. And this repentance of ours was decisive, as, as decisive as crucifixion. So Paul says that if we crucify the flesh, we must leave it there to die. We must renew every day this attitude towards sin of ruthless and uncompromising rejection. In the language of Jesus, as Luke records it, every Christian must take up his cross daily. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. So the question is, how do you crucify the flesh? Right? We know kind of how to abide. We know a little bit of like how to Sabbath, how to take silence and solitude, how to do all those things, but how do we crucify our flesh? How do we take our desires, the things that we want, the things that, that drive and motivate our everyday, that desire to flip off the person when we're driving? Like how do we take that and just nail it to the cross? And I think if we think about Jesus' very own crucifixion, it wasn't just a killing. It was an exchange. Jesus on the cross, he says, I'm going to be sin so that you can have righteousness. See, at the cross, it was leave your sin nailed here, but then walk away with Jesus' life and righteousness. The cross was a place where sin and death, God flipped it on its head and turned it into a place of victory. And I think the strategy is the same. As we think about crucifying our flesh, the strategy is the same, is that we place sin and death and we let the Spirit of God transform it into a victory. And I think the vision of, hey, just don't sin anymore. How's that worked out for you? It doesn't work out for me very well, right? Hey, just don't lust anymore. Just don't manipulate people anymore. Hey, just stop sitting. That doesn't work. And if anyone's ever told you that, you know it doesn't work. You've probably been hurt by that because you've tried. It just doesn't work. I think the key isn't trying to not harbor bitterness or anger. But the key is to walk in victory and actually to use that moment, right? To, to flip it in the same way the cross was where we left sin, but we walked with victory. We, we take our harbored bitterness and anger. We walk in victory and we use that moment when bitterness and anger begin, begins to kind of well up again and reveal itself. We use it as an opportunity for the Spirit. We take it, we nail it to the cross, and we walk away with victory. So when you have a time of temptation, right, you're tempted to be angry at this person. You're tempted to harbor bitter at this, bitterness at this person. You bring it to a place of prayer. Use that place of temptation as a place of ministry to release blessing over people. Right, this is what Paul's talking about in Romans 8.31 where he says, you are more than a conqueror. He says, use that place of struggle to launch into spiritual offense, not spiritual defense. So if you're angry or bitter at someone, rather than just saying, don't sin, don't be angry, don't be bitter at that person, rather than just like saying, like, I'm just going to be defensive, turn it into offense and say, you know what, God, I'm going to walk in victory right now. I am, I am going to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, and instead of being angry and bitter, I'm going to pray for that person. Lord, I just bless them. 
I know that we don't see eye to eye. I know that like maybe the way that I would do this is different than that. Maybe it's your spouse and you're like, I would just load the dishes differently than they loaded the dishes. And in that moment when you feel really, really ready to explode and rather than exploding, you can turn into God, would you bless her? Would you bless them? Turn that moment of temptation into a moment of victory. Because the cross is not just where you leave your sins, it's where you walk away with righteousness. And so how do we crucify the flesh is that we take a moment of temptation, whatever that is for you, and think about that for you. What's the moment of temptation? Take that. And when you feel tempted to walk in the acts of the flesh, would you let the fruit of the Spirit come through and bless that person? Abiding and crucifying. And as we do this again and again, regularly, daily, intentionally, willingly, patiently, in community, in step with the Spirit, we will be transformed into people of love. The fruit of the Spirit will be the natural inner disposition of our lives. And so again, the life of the follower of Jesus is someone who's shaped to be like Jesus, empowered to live like Jesus for the love of the world. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that um, as we hear these things like abiding in you and participating in crucifying our sinful desires and the acts of the flesh and these things that aren't even what we want most, but what we want now, God, as, as we hear those things, Spirit, would you just give us... Um, would you give us more patience, which is a fruit? Patience on ourselves, patience on others. Patience with you, God, as your process is slower. You're, you're not as anxious as we are. And Spirit of God, would you just begin to shape and transform our lives from the inside out, not from the deeds first, but God, from the heart. Lord, I pray for those who are walking around just feeling like <clears throat> so defeated, and feeling like, man, this sounds really cool to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, but it just sounds like it's impossible. I've tried. Lord, would you just breathe confidence? Would you breathe new life on that, God? Would you give just a fresh wind and an ability just to, to lean into you? Holy Spirit, you're the one that produces the fruit, God. And so I just pray that you would do that in our lives. And we thank you for the ways that you speak, the ways that you meet us in the ways that you don't just leave us alone to try to do project self, God. But this isn't a self-help strategy. This is just intimacy with you, God. And so we want to see your face and contemplate your image more and more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com